Hello, and thanks for joining us for another Newton Knowledge Podcast. My name is Mark Singer, one of the partners at our firm. For those joining us for the first time, Newton One's focus and expertise really has two branches. Uh, On one side of the house and the foundation that our unique firm was built upon began with very large premier life insurance placements for estate planning needs. The preservation and transfer of multi-generational wealth in the most tax-efficient manner. On the other side of the house, business continuation planning, key person and buy-sell, and the proper ways to fund these vehicles for the ease of transition. Reviewing operating agreements to assure accuracy and compliance. This also includes executive benefit planning, and more specifically concerning our guest and topic, we'll be addressing today uh, a solution I'm partial to executive disability insurance or executive restoration planning. Now I say that because yes, executive disability or or DI was a huge focus for the first six years of my career, but also because I'm a firm believer that anytime you have the ability to true up or even the playing field of an employee benefits portfolio, doing it through one's place of work is going to be the most turnkey and affordable way to accomplish this feat, bar none. It's a way to recruit, reward, and retain key members of a successful team, a win for the employer, the employees, and their relationship. I'm excited about today to to nerd out with a good friend and colleague of mine, M Financial's one and only Eric Reynolds, the sales leader of our national executive disability practice. Eric, thanks for making some time for us and our listeners today, and welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. And from our previous conversation, welcome back from Avekay. Yeah, it was fortunate to take advantage of our remote work environment, see a little bit of the country and share that with our family too and create some memories. Well, I'm glad you guys had a great time, a safe time, and it's great to have you back. So you've been in the insurance business you know, specifically that focused on disability and long-term care a little over 15 years, you know, starting your career at Unum and transitioning to the M Financial family about nine years ago. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey from the carrier side, then becoming one of M's national disability practice leader? So like most people that end up in the insurance industry, it's usually kind of by accident. You know, I graduated from college just before the Great Recession hit um, and maybe had accidentally the foresight to uh, get into an industry where there's always a need and uh, it's an important uh, need that people need to address and you can help people. And I, I figured looking at different job prospects, I was a finance major and always liked doing stuff in that kind of area and figured everyone always needs insurance and seemed like something stable. So I'm going to try try my hat at this company, Unum, uh, which in hindsight turned out to be a great place to start my career. As you know, I was there for seven years uh, working with a lot of brokers. You know, for, for me, really liked the teaching aspect of the job. I had kind of very rural territory that wasn't called on traditionally by most other insurance carriers. And so I really had to hustle and pound the pavement. And, uh, you know, most of the cases I sold when I was at Unum actually were with brokers who had never sold disability or long-term care insurance before. They had predominantly just focused on group medical insurance. And so it was fun to work with them and grow their practices alongside them. The opportunity uh, at M came along in a little bit more specialized area and a little bit more broad in terms of some of the products in some ways. But I, I always knew about M and they had an excellent reputation in the marketplace. And it turned out to be kind of like the best of all worlds where I really got to still focus on the business development and marketing aspects but working closely with brokers to ultimately help clients at the end of the day. 
I couldn't agree more in regards to the training platform and the process they have set up at Unum. And um, I was very fortunate and thankful to be part of their program as well. And somewhat in the same boat in dealing with producers that never even heard of supplemental disability insurance, or we'll refer to it as executive DI. For our audience, what is supplemental DI programs? So all the different wordings and how we describe this industry all do say uh, what it actually is. So you're just supplementing existing disability coverage, usually a group long-term disability coverage that's provided for all employees. But you're adding additional coverage on top to cover some of those shortfalls and gaps that you mentioned for that high-income segment of the population, who are usually your executive group, partners at a law firm, you know, medical professionals with specialties, really to get them up to the same after-tax percentage income replacement so they can maintain their lifestyle if something were to happen to them due to a sickness or injury that would prevent them from working. Simple concept, and like you said, in its name. So are there features that make this simple concept such an important tool for an employee retention program? Yeah, I I think so. I I point out maybe three different items. The first one is the product is portable. As we know today, you and I alone here on the call, and I'm sure brothers are listening, have probably had more than one job at this point in their career. And so being able to take coverage with you, which these supplemental policies are individual products and keep that with you throughout your career. The other thing is that the benefits and premiums are guaranteed. Most policies you write are what's referred to as non-cancelable coverage, meaning that the benefits and premiums are guaranteed all the way to a certain date in the future, typically around retirement age, you know, to age 65 or to the age of 67. Um, So that's another key feature. And I would say third, the biggest is you're just getting more monthly benefit in addition to what your employer may be providing through a group program. And that's what's allowing you to have a higher percentage of income replacement to meet the financial obligations that you would have in the event that you are unable to work. Eric, I agree. Portability, guaranteed coverage, so non-cancelable contracts, and then simply enhancing your coverage to get to that 60 or 75% of, of monthly income replacement are three huge factors when it comes to supplemental disability coverage. One of the things that I think, um, not to trump the, the three you just gave, I mean, they're extremely important, but the one that I think is extremely invaluable is the underwriting process. And I'm seeing this a lot now doing pure individual disability policies you're going through the ringer, essentially. You're giving blood, urine, height, weight, prior medical history, any prescription drugs, financial justification, and whatever comes up, limitations, restrictions on policies, premium increases, or just pure out declination is a common occurrence. Having the ability to bypass all of that underwriting and simply fill out an active at work questionnaire to get those portable, guaranteed, non-cancelable contracts to the threshold that is suitable to maintain one's current lifestyle is invaluable. And the the financial justification is census data. What are your thoughts on that, Eric? It's definitely the most efficient way to deliver coverage is through an employer-sponsored plan. And and you can't reinforce the, the underwriting ease enough. You know, sometimes you'll hear from someone that says, from an employer, they'll say, well, we pay these people well, you know, they can just go out and get it on their own. But in reality, a lot of times they can't, but you don't know that because, you know, people don't know people, individuals' medical histories. Being able to obtain coverage without having to go through that invasive process is is definitely an advantage. 
There tends to be somewhat of a misconception that group or employer-sponsored long-term disability programs get the job done from an income protection standpoint. I think it's imperative to do an audit, if you will, of employer-sponsored programs to make sure that these programs are covering individuals' earnings to that 60 to 70% threshold. And that varies based off the earnings per individual, whether that be standard salary, billable income if you're a lawyer, or incentive pay, commissions if you're in sales, to get that in its entirety and to do it in the most turnkey and streamlined manner from an underwriting perspective and then locking it in. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point to bring up. And I'll give the disclaimer first to say, you know, we may beat up a little bit on group long-term disability here today, but it's really a key piece of the overall puzzle, providing income protection to someone that's working. But yeah, I think the misconception really comes from the fact that unlike other benefits that an employee is utilizing, whether it's medical, dental, or vision insurance, you know, those are things where you're having claims frequently, right? You're going to the doctor once a year, you're getting your vision exam done, you're going to the dentist to get your teeth cleaned. People don't realize that the benefits that disability insurance can provide, because it does tend to happen less frequently, but probably more frequently than people realize. You know, one in four people, as you know, Mark, will experience a disabling event, preventing them from working for 90 days or longer at some point during their career. And if you've ever been around someone who, in an extreme scenario, you know, qualified for, say, Social Security disability insurance, you can see the impact that that has on someone's life. It's really affordable at the end of the day, which is probably another reason it doesn't get as much attention, which is kind of shocking. Medical insurance is the big ticket item in a benefit package, but disability insurance is relatively inexpensive. Yeah, no, that's a great point. One of the things you said is the, the leader of the show where it doesn't get as much attention. One product that does, and I think is somewhat similar when being offered through an, an employer-sponsored or group program, if you will, is life insurance and voluntary life. And I was just having a conversation a couple days ago with one of our partner firms and how life insurance is avidly spoken about, acquiring it through your employer. To lump long-term disability or supplemental disability insurance in that conversation, I believe, is imperative because, like you said, the chances of going out on disability during your working years are, are much greater than passing away during your working years. Not that life insurance is not important. Of course it is. What funds that voluntary life insurance? What funds your mortgage? What funds your car payment? What funds your rent? You know, if your kids are going to private school or your shore house, it's it's your income. So what we're providing here are solutions to protect your income. That being said, why not just get it individually on your own is, is a question we hear all the time. You know, what are the advantages of, of doing this and, and having this conversation from the top down to apply it and provide it for your executives or, or managerial team? It's interesting, you know, you certainly can get individual disability insurance out on your own. You can go to financial planner or direct to a carrier a lot of times or through a general agency and get coverage. But you're going to have to go through full medical underwriting. Then no one likes to pay full price for anything uh, if they can get it at a discount. And offering it through an employer-sponsored plan, employer-paid or making it available on a, a base buy-up or a purely voluntary basis for employers employees to elect will allow those underwriting thresholds to be reduced. So we talk about guaranteed standard issue underwriting, but really think of it just guarantee issue, meaning that you got to be actively at work the last 90 or 180 days, depending on the carrier, you know, other than normal cold and flu and that type of thing. And you get a policy and you don't have to, on the financial side, you don't have to 
produce, you know, pull out your history of your W-2 earnings and other tax statements in order to get a policy. Your employer is going to provide those. And then by taking advantage of the law of large numbers and spread of risk, insurance companies then are comfortable with offering deep discounts to the products when they're issued through an employer. So you can see discounts from 20, 30, 40% compared to the exact same plan that you could purchase if you went on your own through all the additional hoops that you'd have to jump through. So it's really the most efficient delivery method for obtaining individual disability coverage, and that's through an employer-sponsored plan. And then once the program's in place to add or increase benefit amounts is streamlined as well, which is a key factor in in placing these types of programs and advocating them to those in need of it. So ideally, what will happen then over time is once you have the plan in place, the great thing is people anticipate over time that hopefully their income will continue to increase. And you'll be able to obtain more coverage, usually on an annual or every couple years, uh, depending on the characteristics of the plan, to kind of keep pace uh, from a protection side with your income growth as well. What's your thoughts on the concept of self-funding such programs? You have a carve-out of individuals you're looking to provide supplemental protection for, and the response is, no, I get it. It's important. It's valuable. We'll make each individual whole. God forbid something happens and we have to cross that bridge. You know, or do you have any thoughts or want to elaborate on that concept? It always makes me cringe a bit because it's like, <laughs> oh, there's such a better way to do this. And especially, you know, if it's a smaller employer as well, that's going to take a hit on cash flows to do something like that. Uh, absolutely. Because, you know, a long-term disability program, even if you're someone a little bit more mature in your career, say you're 50 years old, think about the future income potential for that person if they had planned on working to age 65, And a lot of people plan on working past that, but take, say, 65. I mean, that's 15 years of income that you're going to be on the hook for uh, helping replace. So that's going to have an impact on the business. And usually when I see these situations pop up in my experience, never one person goes out on claim at the same time. It's usually two if it happens. And it's just kind of one of those things and you're going, oh my gosh, you know, uh, when it rains, it pours. But the other thing is there's some other issues there. Uh, There's a liability perspective and the precedent that could set at the employer. Well, if you're going to do it for this executive, are you also going to do it for this rank and file worker to make them whole? And so it can open up some liabilities uh, from that perspective. The other thing is, you know, if you're going to self-fund the plan, there are some accounting requirements, especially if you're going to set it up and have it formally documented. You would actually have to set aside reserves for the entire duration of that claim up front. So in that example we just gave, you know, for those 15 years, you might have to set aside several hundred thousand dollars at one time. And so it's much easier and more efficient to pay a small amount of premium, shift that financial liability and burden to the insurance carrier. And not only the financial aspect of it, but you don't have to get involved in the messiness of determining, all right, are you disabled now? Are you disabled in three months from now? You know, and once once you are paying benefits, are you still disabled? At some point, hopefully there's going to be a return to work outcome, which is obviously hopefully a goal for anyone to be able to return to work. You don't have to make those decisions that liabilities placed on the insurance company to manage those risks. So, so I think those are some of the key things that certainly I've seen over the years. It's so true. It's unfortunately, it tends to be not one, but two people out on claim. 
the reserves is a great point, and it's something that I don't think is thought of at the time of making that statement. I'm going to use a COVID word here and pivot in regards to industries utilizing these types of programs. So, so legal and healthcare top ones at the list. Are there any emerging industries or you know, ones that are taking off in this space currently or, or previously and any reasons for that? Yeah, so, so certainly, you know, in the disability world, we kind of talk about the big three industries and you certainly name two of them being law firms and medical groups. Third one is probably financial services uh, that we've seen quite a bit of coverage placed over the years. And that, those were really born out of the fact that that's where individual prospects were back when we saw career systems being much more, much larger and more involved to those kitchen tables of conversations. They were calling on the doctors and lawyers. And so those programs obviously were the first to take off in the multi-life supplemental disability arena as well. Over time, what we've seen is just more wide stream adoption of this across, I really say all industries, because I've seen business written from trucking companies to wineries to IT companies. But I would say really a few emerging industries for sure and ones to be aware of would be manufacturing. You know, most people don't think of a blue collar company as being a disability insurance purchaser. But at any company, just like a manufacturing company, there's probably a key group of employees. There's a there's an owner, a president, key salesperson, business development person, what have you, you know, HR and some other key functions that probably have a significant break if you were to look, to look at a list of incomes that everyone at that employer that probably have some gaps. So manufacturing would be one. Another one that we've seen a large rise in are technology companies. And these are popping up all over. You got a lot of young people with really creative ideas and creating a lot of value in a really short period of time. And their businesses are taking off and they're enjoying the rewards of the incomes that come along with that. And then I would say related to the medical industry, you know, pharmaceutical companies is is another one. But I would say overall to anyone that's listening, you know, nearly every company is potentially a a good prospect just because of an industry doesn't necessarily dictate that it's a good prospect or a bad prospect. It's really looking at the incomes of that group. Has the organization been successful and do they have highly compensated individuals? And as we were talking earlier, you know, on the group long-term disability side of things, someone may have only a $5,000 a month group long-term disability benefit. So all of a sudden you're into the $100,000 plus space where people are going to start having gaps as opposed to companies that maybe have a little bit richer group plans pushing that income threshold up a bit higher. There can always be a case when you have the group long-term disability contract, you can look at the percentage and, and monthly income that's being replaced there and then aggregate earnings by each individual. The only knockout you could say would be occupation whether it's blue collar. But in terms of industry, if there's that difference or delta from that group LTD maximum and their total earnings, and you have a group to carve out that are in need of additional protection, we essentially have a case. Yeah, Mark, I'd even add in, you know, going back to my days at Unum, even though I had kind of that very rural territory, I had very good success partnering with my individual disability rep and putting together these supplemental combo cases. And we wrote an electrician company. It's a very large electrician company. They had 15 key people. Uh, so we, we were writing it on them. And we had another case. It was a produce distributor. You know, these are not the typical cases that you would think of when you think about individual disability coverage, but they had the need just like anyone else. It's great conversations to have as a producer or a fiduciary of a client or group to just do this analysis to make sure everyone is protected and, and whether something's placed or not. 
to have that conversation, I feel like, you know, everyone's on the same side of the table. Everything's disclosed. It's a positive for the producer, the advisor, and the client. You know, looking back, I said I got into this industry a little bit by accident. But, you know, when I look back on some of the events in my own life with family members and had a grandfather I was really close to that experienced some medical events and qualified for social security disability, and that was their only form of income replacement. I remember talking to my grandma about what that process was like and the fact that they were waiting to pay payments depending if my grandfather survived the surgery or not. It was just not a good way to have to deal with something, the financial stress of that. Thanks for sharing that story, Eric. I'm certain there's a handful of listeners out there that can relate to the situation and circumstances that your family and ultimately your grandfather had to go through there. I'd like to take a jump to uh, your day-to-day, Eric, as well as the M Financial team that's working over in the Portland, Oregon office. So I've had a few different roles at M over the years, but primarily I've been focused on disability insurance is kind of the core of my role. And so I do a lot of marketing related activities. I hear a lot from our member firms around the country from different cases that they're working on or centers of influences or referral sources that they're working with. And I help do a lot of co-presentations with them to help educate people about disability insurance in general and then some of the solutions that M brings to the table. We're involved with working with some of our carrier relationships, although we're very neutral uh, where we do have some advantages. And then I would say I get involved in a few other things outside of disability insurance as well. I do a lot with our Lloyds of London business. A lot of that is disability insurance at very high levels of coverage. But we do have some specialty life products included in that relationship, which bring up some interesting cases along the way with people that participate in risky activities. And probably everyone on the phone for sure is aware of some of those types of situations. They'll pop up in the news every once in a while, whether it's an athlete or a celebrity. But we do a lot primarily in the corporate space. When you look at our disability practice, we're part of M's insurance operations, which includes life insurance and annuities and private placement life insurance. Our team, we have three people dedicated to the disability insurance business. I'm more on the marketing business development side of things. And then we have two teammates, Tammy and Courtney, who are on the, what I would say, like the technical experts and wizards behind everything that we do. So once a case comes in, they're really digging into it and looking at the census data, understanding an employer's benefit philosophy and putting together plan designs jointly in coordination, you know, with member firms like Newton One to then ultimately deliver potential solutions that an employer may want to move forward with. And so they help with all the pre-sale side of things. And then at the point where the sale is made, that will then be handed over to the insurance carriers. And then we still do uh, overall with the team, we get involved with a lot of different things. You know, we're a lean organization with, with how we're designed, but we really do serve kind of almost as like a back office to a lot of our member firms just to provide that additional support and expertise uh, when it's needed, depending on the type of client and the sale. Because we see everything from three business owners in a carve-out up to thousands of employees at Fortune 500 companies eligible for some of the programs we've put in place over the years. So Eric, let's say you're an employee benefits producer or a PNC producer. What are you looking for within your book of business regarding potential executive restoration solutions? Or better yet, what questions should you be asking your clients? 
I think there's a lot of areas of opportunity, certainly, but to kind of narrow it in, I would say, you know, if I have a book of business, I'm probably going to focus first on those key relationships that I have, the ones I've had the longest or the ones that I would be most upset if another producer came in and introduced this type of solution uh, in terms of executive disability planning, and I didn't talk to them about it, I would be kicking myself. So I would start there with those key relationships. But then for all of my relationships, I would want to make sure that I'm having the conversation with that key relationship I have there, really asking them the question, how much income do you need to live on at the end of the day if you were unable to work anymore because you were sick or injured? Chances are that person is going to say all of it. As you and I know, Mark, every dollar coming in is a sign going out somewhere. And a lot of people don't realize they don't think of their income necessarily in these broad scope, you know, in the future income potential and annual numbers. And they kind of think about that net income and they forget about, oh, pre-tax, I'm paying for my medical insurance. Pre-tax, I'm contributing to my qualified plan. And it goes on and on. They just see the after-tax coming out that's going toward mortgage, utilities, rent, vacations, you know, whatever it might be, everyday lifestyle expenses. And so once you set the stage there, it's going, okay, does your current disability insurance plan match up to meet those expectations for lifestyle expenses? And a lot of times it may not due to some of the things we've talked about, taxes, limitations on certain types of claims, not enough monthly benefit. And so then they realize there's a gap and there's an actual item, at least to start having the conversation and digging in further. Having the conversation and hearing a response from an employer that or or a, an executive, our organization protects sixty percent of our our earnings. So so we're okay. Well, what's the maximum? Oh, it's sixty percent of earnings. Well, there's usually a cap, and unless you're you know very astute in the disability world, and it's to no one's fault. It's just there's so many other pieces and variables that take front and center stage. It's just having those conversations and planting those seeds, um, like you said, starting off with your key clients and key relationships. So I think that was a, a great response and a great point. And I would say don't give up on it either. You're you're probably going to get a no right out of the gate. No one ever just says, oh, you know what? Sign me up, Mark. Uh, <laughs> you know. The timing's going to have to be right. There's competing priorities, right? There could be an open enrollment and a lot of moving parts on the medical plan. So it's just keeping it on the radar, keeping it in front of them and making sure that people realize how much of a risk this could present to someone in the event something happens and they can't work. A lot of times that becomes the catalyzing event, right? You, you I'm sure, have seen this where they've said, no, no, we're not interested. And then all of a sudden, oh, the CFO has cancer and they're giving you a call going, you know what, maybe we need to look at this. We didn't realize you know, how important this actually is, but now it's hitting home. They say don't waste a crisis. What about don't wait for a crisis or better yet, don't wait for a claim? Shouldn't it be our initiative to proactively figure out shortfalls and plan accordingly for our clients? Take those necessary steps in, in regards to planning or you mentioned this prior, traditionally less than 1% of the covered payroll put in a program fills in those gaps in shortfalls and provides individual guaranteed policies to those key employees in the most turnkey and cost-efficient manner. So if you could elaborate a little bit more on, on how it works on the back end in regards to some of the pricing and unique and exclusive products we receive with our partner carriers on the disability side. Yeah. So I, I didn't mention it prior, but probably the good spot to start is M's been in this business for I think about 35 years now, so uh, a long, long time. 
we may have actually, I, I think, it's unconfirmed in disability insurance history, but I believe if we weren't the first, it's got to be close to the first to have written a multi-life supplemental disability plan with the guarantee issue. That was like a new concept 30 years ago. So we're the first there. And over time, we built up a block of business. I think we have over 50,000 individuals that we insure today across M Financial and all of our member firms. And so that's a the significant block of business, I believe the largest in the United States from an individual disability perspective with employer groups. And so what's happened is as we got into that space back in the late 80s, we developed a reputation for writing business just like we had on the life insurance side where focused on high income professionals, successful people that had need for the, for this planning. And so what happened is we were able to lean a bit on our experience on the life insurance side and show that our clients generally are healthier because they have better access to medical care, do their, their incomes and, and some of those other uh, key tenants and said, well, guess what? This is actually applies to the disability side of our business as well. And so can we use that data to uh, help create pricing advantages for our clients. Because of the unique aspect, we won't go too deep into this, but M Financial has a reinsurance company that's also owned collectively by the M member firms. And so what that allows us to do is go to an insurance carrier and say, rather than us just demand and say, hey, we're writing a lot of business and it's really good business, and, you know, for the clients that, that need it and say, hey, you should give this to this at a cheaper cost just because we're going to write a lot of business. That's partly the case, but really it's saying, hey, we believe that our clients are going to have superior claim performance and they're going to have better persistency. And so because of that, we're able to, of the, and because of the reinsurance company, we can go to the carrier and say, we believe in these things so much. We'd like to share the risk with you. And so that really makes us partners and sitting on the same side of the table. So if we pay out a lot of claims, the insurance company is going to lose money, but so, so is M and vice versa as well. But we really try to price things as, as fair as possible so clients at the end of the day can get the, the best deal and hopefully the best price that they think they can get in the market. And that includes even in that multi-life, the employer-sponsored market where we already mentioned there are deep discounts. And so we push to get even deeper discounts to benefit our policyholders, much in the same manner that we've done on the life insurance side. That makes perfect sense. I mean, when you're talking preferred risk, ideal risk, less claims than industry average, essentially profitable for the carrier. So to apply discounts appropriately makes sense. And then from a reinsurance perspective for M to take on a portion of the risk, you know, anytime you have table stakes per se in, in the contract and coverage and risk being written, you think you're going to have some more say in the pricing as well, or at least come up with a, an ideal partnership on where that pricing should be. So very good stuff. Very interesting. While at Unum, we had a saying, a carrier is only as good as its ability to pay at time of claim. And then to dive a little deeper on how that process looks and feels from the individual specifically out on claim, as well as the family involved or taking care of that individual. Can you elaborate on, on how M's partnership with disability carriers gives a, an invaluable advantage within this segment of the business? Yeah, so whenever M Financials form relationships with a carrier, client advocacy is front and center. And in the disability space, 
that part of that's claims because you know the policyholder is the one that's going to be experiencing the claim process and going through it themselves. So, so what we've generally tried to do is make sure that we have really a concierge, white glove, VIP, whatever you want to call it, type experience for that policyholder because it is a difficult time, right? They're going through a lot of financial stress, emotional stress. Physically, there's likely something uh, that's occurring. And so you want it to go as smooth as possible. So we've been able to set up with some of our relationships, the ability to have a more senior team of people working on those claims. They also generally have longer tenures with the organization and a higher level of oversight. Obviously, disability insurance, there's a little bit more gray area than a life insurance claim. I'll just come back to that since we've mentioned that a couple of times, right? I mean, you're either dead or alive. There's usually no arguing uh, that fact. But, you know, with a disability insurance claim, sometimes it does come down to certain contract provisions. But you want those experienced people working on the claim because the individuals, you know, Mark, that you're working with, it's never generally as straightforward as, oh, there's just this W-2 income and that's it. You know, there's commissions, there's incentive pay, there's a lot of moving parts, especially for the business owners that you're working with. And so you want to make sure that people are knowledgeable in that segment and uh, that that the claim goes smoothly because that's obviously going to have a direct impact on your future ability to work with that organization and make sure it aligns with the expectations for when you put the policy into place. The other thing that we have uh, with our relationships with besides the more tenured and the more experienced individuals, you know, just quicker time standards, right? So if you're getting a call, you know, you're returning it quicker than maybe what the company's normal standard service level agreements might be. And then as well as, you know, if there are any adverse decisions, making sure that it's run up the flagpole a bit and we have, you know, senior people looking at that with another set of eyes to make sure that it is in fact the right decision. And I, I, and I, even though I mentioned that, it's a very small percentage of the time. It's been great to see in the position that I have been now, you know, at M, more on the broker side and working with the carriers to really see how often any of those decisions come up. And, you know, it's actually a pretty quiet. Uh, most claims do go through with no issues and you actually never hear about them, which is kind of disappointing because uh, you like to hear, you just see the numbers. But at the end of the day, you know, those are people being impacted and able to continue their lives uh, given the circumstances, those tough circumstances that they're going through. It's an extremely important piece of the puzzle, probably the most important thing uh, when a claim comes to fruition and how that claim is handled. It's why we do what we do, uh, you know, and how we handle that process is a little different. We're fortunate to be part of a team that's able to do that and provide those solutions in the most turnkey, streamlined, and seamless manner. All great points and great that we're part of a, a team that's able to do that for our, our clients and our advisors. Eric, we're coming to a close here. I'm sure we could keep going and we'll have to schedule some time to, to do this again. Thanks for joining us today. This has been great. Is there anything else you would like to share? Please fire away. Yeah, no, Mark, thanks for having me. It's always great to, to work with you and Newton One. And uh, yeah, it's uh, thanks for everyone for listening to this. You know, it's a little bit nerdy in the disability side of of, of the world, of the, of the insurance world, that is. But I'm, I'm proud to be in this business because it really does make an impact for clients at, at the end of the day. And sometimes we lose sight of of that and, and how much of an impact it can have on someone's life and just be able to reduce stress in their life and focus on getting better. If you haven't taken a look at your disability policy lately, whether it's through Newton One or somewhere else, I'd encourage you to go out and make sure that you're properly covered for in the event that 
that that situation would come up that you don't have to to worry about it and can focus on recovering and uh, on your health. Perfectly said, Eric. Thanks again for your time. Talk soon. Thanks, Mark. The material and opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what is appropriate for you, please contact a member of our team.